0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of New Horizons. This week we continue the series on When Blindness Is Not Your Only Disability with part two of my discussion with Ricky Chaplin. Let's talk about uh, some more mundane stuff I suppose, things like daily living and getting around. What's been the impact for you particularly in terms of getting about the house and and doing housework and all of those things?
1: Yeah my house really doesn't pose me too much of a problem. so, you know, I, the hearing aids work well enough so that I can hear things like a microwave beeping, for example. Um, you know, I use my phone a lot more now to time things um, if I'm cooking, that sort of thing. Um, the For me, because I still have a good level of hearing while I've got the hearing aids in the house, I can function fairly well um, as I would have Uh, Had I not had the hearing loss, probably where I find it more difficult is things like orientation and mobility um, outside the house. Uh, So things like uh, crossing intersections, I'm not as confident anymore with that as you know as I used to be. I mean, I've got to say, it's it's mobility was never one of my strengths. But you know, being in an environment where you've got multiple sounds occurring at once, multiple things happening at once, uh, I have to say it's impacted on my confidence in terms of being able to, um, to navigate uh, and particularly environments where I'm not as familiar. I mean, having said that, I used to be able to get the tram to and from work in Melbourne and I did that successfully for nearly three years. Um, and it, it's testament really to how good public transport is in Melbourne and you know, how well it works that I was able to still do that as a person who was blind with a hearing impairment. Um buses in Brisbane, uh I will get a bus from my house into into Roma Street. That's one thing I've done, you know, successfully quite a few times now. Again, with the advent of technology like Blind Square and uh the combination of uh, Bluetooth headphones or hearing aids, uh that's become more doable. Um so I think I'm in a bit of a unique situation in that I work from home and so I I don't really have the need to go out a huge amount, uh, to be travelling a route every day as I used to when I worked in an office. So in some ways it's a bit of a blessing. In others it's you know, uh it, it can tend to erode your confidence over time and that's not necessarily a good thing, but you know, thankfully, um I have the NDIS now and i've got some good support and you know am able to get out into the community more easily i think it's one of those things though where if you're forced to do something you do it because you have no other option um it's you know it's just that i think you know i've been fortunate in in that i've got that level of support now that i didn't necessarily used to have uh and certainly you know as i say when i was in melbourne i did do a lot more because i had to
0: was there ever a time when you sort of thought, oh, this is this is ridiculous, I just can't do this anymore?
1: Um, I probably, to, to be honest, I, I'm not, I don't, I was never an adventurous person uh, in terms of orientation mobility, but, yeah, look, now that I can, I will get a taxi or a Uber, you know, mm-hmm. in preference to um, using public transport, unless I feel really confident with it. Um, if I again, if I used it every day, maybe that would be different. Um, but yeah, I I have to say that yeah, I'm not as confident now as I, as I used to be. Probably where, where, a situation I did feel that to some degree. I have to say is when um, I mean, you'll remember what it was like having little kids, and you had everything happening in the house, and almost, honestly, it, it just got overwhelming for me at times. Uh, with my hearing loss, just the processing of sound. People talk about their eyes getting tired. Well, I, I would find my ears would get tired and I would literally have to escape out to my shed. In the backyard because I just I couldn't cope with everything going on and it didn't necessarily go down well with the wife at the time. But uh, yeah, um, look, I don't think you you have to
0: have significant degree of hearing loss for that to happen, though, Rick. I think it's uh, you know I think most of us encounter that at at times, but certainly I can understand um, how you feel there. Some people may not know that I have a hearing impairment myself. I'm I'm, uh, reasonably significantly deaf in one ear, and uh, when that hit me, I I sort of just about fell apart for, for. for nearly six months and i just couldn't cope with the idea of losing my hearing so i certainly understand where you're coming from from the perspective of focusing on what the kids are doing and it's so important because you don't want your kids to be in danger and you you really do need to be on top of what they're doing so uh you know i think it's uh you know the amount of the amount of work that we need to do as blind people and and if we have a significant hearing impairment as well that work is just uh exacerbated
1: absolutely yeah I think think that's what it was for me um, that yeah I'd I lacked the confidence in, in really knowing what the kids were doing um, and yeah I mean I, I would dread the times when I would be on my own looking after the kids I really did I have to say that was one area that I that I struggled with a great deal um, yeah and then you know as you've mentioned the music psychologically You know, the impact that that had psychologically was a a big blow for me. Um, I prided myself on being able to sing well, on knowing what I was doing, on having pretty much perfect pitch. And when that went and people, you know, started to make comments and and sort of say, "What's, what's going on with him? You know, and when I, you know, found myself not interpreting things when I was playing live that... Once I wouldn't have had to think about that. that. That was a pretty scary time for me.
0: How did you go with uh, disclosing to other people about your hearing impairment, particularly as it sort of came on fairly late in the piece, and you were doing or you were working in a profession that was so, uh, I guess, loaded towards your hearing? How how did people take the fact that you had hearing loss, and did, you know, did they sort of take it in their stride, or did they think you were overreacting, or you know, what happened there?
1: Um I have to say when I went to Melbourne, I was you know we followed the music scene down there, particularly in the the Americana and bluegrass arena that I have really become interested in in an attempt to try and get some work you know um some live gigs uh with with a band uh or even if I could you know could have hooked up with somebody that I worked with regularly, that sort of thing, and I felt that I had to be honest about my hearing loss at that time um but unfortunately i was never able to get a foot in the door down there um and i i find that disappointing because i i could have done it had i had material in advance had i had the opportunity to learn it had we rehearsed all that sort of thing but i guess it you know people found it too difficult a concept to deal with because the only sort of spin that i can put on it really i I, I, and, and i do find that disappointing but um, I, I think what I've learned from it is that you you focus on the people who do believe in you, um, and you just you, know, you pursue that to the best of your ability, and maybe there'll come a time where you know when I'm not so preoccupied um, with work and that sort of thing, where I'll I'll feel like I'm able to to start writing my own stuff again, to start composing some instru- instrumental music. Maybe I'm not sure, um, but I love just sitting playing piano. Um, in fact. I think it's it's actually made me focus a lot more on the piano, and I've become a better player. I think uh, as a result of it, because because the piano is so tactile, um, it you know you can be very certain of what you're doing, mm-hmm. even if at times you doubt what you're hearing. Uh, that that sense of touch is still there, and you still know what you're playing, um, and so. I, I don't. I think it's even, you know, been a subconscious process where I, I've worked on my piano playing over the years, um, and that might be something that I can pursue even at a solo level one day. Um, you know, as I say, when I'm less less preoccupied. You know, there there are a number of deafblind people who play piano very well, and and probably that's why because you you do get that sense of vibration. Um, you know, particularly through an acoustic piano. Mm. Uh, it's not not as much through keyboard, but. Um, you know, you still know where you are on the keyboard, essentially. You still know how hard you're hitting notes, et cetera. So, you know, it's, it's it's an instrument that's very accessible to people who are deafblind.
0: So what's your prognosis? Are you likely to lose all of your hearing in the future? And if so, what will you do?
1: Um, Norries can really vary. In that regard. So, there are some people my age who have cochlear implants, some older people uh, who have gotten cochlear implants later in life, uh, as I've gotten into their 50s and 60s, some very young people who have cochlear implants. So, to be honest, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And I think one of the emotional battles that I have at times is I feel like I should be playing more music while I still can. Uh, well, I've still got this level of hearing because I don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, I've often said I've had some singing lessons in the last 12 to 18 months and that's made, if it hasn't perfected my, my vocals back to what they were, it certainly made a big difference. And, uh, you know, sometimes I feel, should I be recording another album just for the sake of doing it so that I've got it you know, while I'm still at this this level, and probably still able to produce it at least to some degree, so um, yeah, you know it, that that uncertainty still creates those questions in your mind, um, but you can't, and you can't withdraw from life either. Um, you know, you, you have to make the most of what you've got.
0: Mm. Have you gone down the avenue of learning the um, finger signing and what have you?
1: <clears throat> Not as yet. Because I'm still primarily verbal and because I live on my own in Brisbane, um, I think signing is something that you really have to use every day to be able to really ingrain it into your brain. Um, and being someone who has not had a great deal of success with social concepts and you know, I find it very difficult to get you know, the shapes and things like that that are used, um, I, I think really for me would take a great deal of learning. Um, so I envisage that um, I will at least, you know, for the foreseeable future, if my hearing deteriorates, rely more heavily on Braille and Braille displays um, than signing. Although it certainly will have its advantages if I am able to learn it, but I think for me it's going to take quite some time and I'm going to have to be in a situation where, as I say, I would have to use it every day to be able to, Uh, Or maintain that level of memory around it
0: Mm. and there's been a lot of work done in recent times with uh, uh, on-device captioning and things like that that uh, particularly if you look at Netflix as an example uh, for watching television where you can actually read the captions uh, on a braille display but also um, you know when people speak to a device and can automatically get changed into text, which I imagine can be uh, put almost immediately into Braille. Have you experienced that yet?
1: Not so much with movies, but I have been in conferences with Deafblind Australia where they've had that technology, and it is—it's really cool because you know I'm still at the level where I can hear what people are saying, but you know maybe a second or two later it will come through in Braille. Uh, so yeah, I was really blown away when I first saw it. Just like wow. You know that's that's incredible technology when you've got um, verbal uh, content being uh, translated into text,
0: and especially once it becomes portable and you can do it out in the street. It's uh,
1: that's right. You know, it's, yeah. I
0: think that's going to be quite remarkable. It's going to be a game changer for a lot of things. Ricky, thanks very much for uh, for being so open and honest with us on the program. It's it's really useful to be able to talk about these things. I, I don't know what the instance of uh, of deafblind people is in Australia but uh, I imagine that there are quite a lot of people who are either losing hearing or very afraid that they will lose hearing at some stage in the near future and it's really important for them to hear from people who've been there and done it and, and the fact that you can get through it and it is something that you can deal with.
1: Absolutely, certainly life doesn't have to be over if you do happen to require hearing loss.
0: Ricky Chaplin, advocacy officer with Blind Citizens Australia. That was part two of that discussion. Part one, of course, last week. Blind Citizens Australia has a list for people with multiple disabilities. If you are a BCA member and would like to join that list, obviously you have to have a multiple disability. Then contact the BCA head office and uh, they will organise for you to be subscribed to that list. If you'd like to contact BCA, one eight hundred o double three double six zero is the telephone number. One 3360 if you'd like to email bca at bca.org.au bca at bca.org.au and I'll talk to you again next week
1: We'll achieve the realization of a dream of our dream